From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Anique Aiken, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, July 28th. Today, David Bank speaks with Hugo Contreras, who led the Nature Conservancy's effort to establish water funds in Latin America to price, conserve, and enhance our most irreplaceable resource. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. First came the private equity giants moving into impact investing. Then came their impact reports. Not surprisingly, Bain, Apollo, TPG, and KKR gave themselves good grades on impact and ESG. Impact Alpha sifted for nuggets in hundreds of pages of impact reports. One metric that caught our attention, impact yield. TPG says the impact yield of its $2.3 billion first rise impact fund was up 113% last year. KKR, with its worker ownership strategy, is not the only private equity investor looking for worker solutions and workforce impact. The surprisingly strong labor market has investors looking for companies that can attract employees with quality jobs. Two Sigma Impact, HCAP Partners, and Lafayette Square are among the investors working with companies to offer advancement opportunities, smarter benefits, wellness support, higher pay, and most of all, respect. Dennis Price explores the strategy on Impact Alpha. Community ownership is increasingly in the toolkit of real estate investors. On the east side of Kansas City, Local Code is market testing a novel model that will eventually transfer majority ownership of two large mixed-use projects to local residents. Local Code's structure for community ownership is part of a new set of models for the ownership economy. Racial wealth building strategies increasingly run through residential and commercial real estate. Helping communities get ready to deploy U.S. clean energy funding is the goal of Invest in Our Future. It's a $180 million philanthropic consortium assembled by the Rockefeller, Hewlett, MacArthur, and Packard Foundations, along with Breakthrough Energy. Invest in Our Future will supply catalytic grants to ensure that rural and indigenous communities, other communities of color, and other under-resourced places are able to take part in the transformative opportunity. And finally, don't miss Jessica Pothering's Q&A with Brett Isaac and Michael Cox of Navajo Power, which is building solar and storage projects in indigenous communities across the United States. The flagship project is a 750-megawatt facility on Navajo Nation next to the site of a shuttered coal-fired power plant. And now it's time to talk about water funds in Latin America. David caught up with Hugo Contreras at the recent Salzburg Global Seminar, Connecting Capital to Communities, sponsored by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Let's listen in. What problem are you trying to solve? When you ask people generally where the water comes from, the immediate answer is comes from the tap. That's, that's the general answer. It, actually, TNC did a uh, uh, small sample to see if that was true, but yeah. But if you follow the tab behind and you go up the tab, you, you, rea- you will realize that water comes from nature. And take Quito, for example. Quito is a city which is perhaps almost 3,000 meters above sea level and is getting water from the, the Andes. Most of its water is coming from the Andes. But it just so happens that in between the glaciers and the city of Quito, there is a large portion of 
natural infrastructure, which are high Indian wetlands. It's just grass and puffy grass and, and just imagine a green space. When the glacier melts, water sl slowly drips into the marsh, accumulates, and nature does its, what it does. It cleans it, it filters, it storages, and slowly releases relatively clean water into the city. So the utility takes the water, purifies it last mile, and distributes it to all the users. But the reality is that although watershed and that piece of nature is really important, no one is taking care of that. So the problem that we were trying to solve and the Nature Conservancy was trying to solve back in 2000 was, how can we take care of nature? Uh, how can we bring the water users to the equation? And on top of that, we understand that there is lots of biodiversity around that we can also take care of. So it's like a triple benefit. You improve the city's uh, ability to get water, you reduce the cost or at least maintain the cost of, uh, of cleaning the water and you preserve nature, biodiversity, really needs space. People often have a hard time thinking about how to invest in water. Um, what are the mechanisms that would actually make uh, a return for, for investors? Are the funds a, a way that people can, can, can invest in, in the water supply? In theory, yes. Some of them are doing it but some of them need to learn how to do it. Let me give you an example. In the case of Quito, for example, Quito, uh, the community, and by community, I mean the local government, who's the owner of the utility, decided that the utility would have to pay uh, a portion of the cost. And that portion is reflected in your water tariff, and that accounts for 2% of all the revenues that are being collected by the utility that are dedicated to the fund and the fund invests in, in conserving all these pieces of land. So in essence, everyone living in Quito is paying a little bit. And that's generating a cash flow that could be used uh, to guarantee a, a more sophisticated instrument to bring money from the future. You can do whatever, right? But that, let's, let's look at other cases. Uh, the, if we, if we assume that the utility is the one that's more readily or closer to the problem and it's more evident for the utility that it's representing all the citizens and all the users, then utilities could be in the forefront. And in the case of Peru, for example, they understood that that was the case and they started perhaps in 2013, they started the regulatory process whereby they created a series of laws. But the most important, or the spirit of all those laws, was to allocate part of the responsibility for the conservation or management of the water sources to the utilities. So now utilities, by law, are responsible to contribute, and contributing not only financially, but also technically, and now it's, the, the, it's in their mandate. So every time they need to go to the water regulator to ask for a tariff, they need to answer how much of that tariff is going to be dedicated to natural infrastructure or 
taking care of your water sources. And what portion of that tariff is going to be dedicated to adapting to climate change? So if I understand what you're saying, what you're creating is a mechanism by which the conservation of the watershed can become, uh, uh, can, can have the financing it needs because that will benefit all of the different users mm -hmm. uh, to, to and, and presumably from the Nature Conservancy's point of view, also benefit uh, the, the environment. There is a correlation between those areas and biodiversity, for example. So if you, if you preserve those areas, you will preserve biodiversity, which is an important uh, value or, or co-benefit of what you do. So you're creating a win-win out of what could otherwise be a lose-lose. Uh, that's, uh, I couldn't express it better. And I think if we look or we think of it as a very simple mechanism, no one invests because there's no one's responsibility. So someone now has the responsibility. No one invests because there is no money. You're creating the sources of money for that to be paid. So you're monetizing the value. It's not that there isn't value. It's not that now that you're paying a tariff, now suddenly it has value. It's always had a value, but it was difficult to monetize. So now you're monetizing the value, and by monetizing the value, you are opening up an opportunity to bring capital into the sector. What kinds of things are these funds uh, funding? Uh, you, might, you might think it's, uh, it's um, so simple that it doesn't look like an investment, but they're buying land that needs to be preserved, that it's better if it's just separated, preserved, no one touches it. They are investing in uh, reforestation. They are investing in uh, improving agricultural practices or best management practices for agriculture. They're also investing in, uh, in some cases, they're investing in uh, designing city solutions like parks that can infiltrate water or parking lots that can infiltrate water or roofs that can uh, collect water when it rains. Um, it's all, they are also using uh, wetlands, artificial wetlands is a, is a good example of a, of a solution. Uh, so it, it, they're so simple sometimes that you think, wow, what, how can they contribute? The real challenge with the solutions is that they need to be implemented at scale. And by scale, I mean, it's, it's not two, three acres or hectares. It's not about 100 hectares. It's about tens of thousands of hectares. So that's when the, uh, when the complexity comes, because you're talking about land that's private, owned by smallholders or largest holders, but you need to negotiate. You need to convince them to adopt different practices. So there is a process of changing the way they manage their own land, which is private. They don't have the obligation to do it, but you come with the incentives, resources, uh, knowledge to, to show them how things are, better, are going to be better done. And there is a partnership between the city, the users that are paying for the water, and them because they are in uh, a farmer, for example. A farmer that gets uh, technology to reduce the amount of water uses or reduce the uh, fertilizers or chemicals that they use uh, because eventually they will pollute the water. So all these practices are the ones that are being deployed and they need to be deployed in, again, tens of thousands of hectares most of the time. Well, so the utilities and the 
water consumers, I think at some level, are used to paying for water. Whether they pay a, the, the right price is another mm-hmm. question. But the big users are maybe not used to paying for creating or enhancing or conserving the supply of water. Is that, is that, is that you're, you're trying to bring them upstream in a sense um, and say mm-hmm. it's not just something that, 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 like you said, comes out of the tap and yes, you have to pay for it, but you're saying you have to actually invest and make sure that the supplies are, 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 are secure and uh, uh, that the nature that yeah. supplies it is I, protected. I would, I would respond yes and no to that question. Uh, if you look at the numbers, roughly 70% of the water used in agriculture, maybe, maybe more than that, or a bit less, but let's assume 70. Uh, and this water used by farmers. Farmers in most of the countries in Latin America and in many countries around the world, they don't pay for water. It's free of charge. They might pay for, for the electricity to pump the water, they might pay for the works to bring the water, but they don't pay for the water itself. Um, in these big numbers again, big users like the bottlers or um, uh, uh, textiles or big industries, the proportion of water that they use out of the whole, in I would say 99% of the cases, it's minimum in a, in a, in, in a certain watershed. It's even less than utility would be the second largest user of water. No one actually competes with the utility. So uh, when you say they are not used to paying upstream, yes, they're not used to, they could do better, they could pay. But one of the, uh, the, the, the fair conversations that they have, an honest conversation that they have is, yes, okay, if I buy, if I provide just under 1% of the total revenue of the utility, and even the tariffs, I pay a higher tariff in, on average than the rest of the, city, uh, of the users, that is going to be my contribution. Let's assume I double my contribution and I will contribute two, two percentage points. That's not, that's not going to make a difference. What's going to make a difference is that the utility and particularly the, uh, the farmers start paying for water when, when, that, when it comes to the case. And not only that, uh, think, think of yourself as a developer. Now that we're talking about housing, for example, imagine you're a developer. Imagine you live in Mexico City and there is a big piece of uh, open land in the southern part of the city. So you start developing that. What is the environmental cost of that externality? Because you are preventing the city from capturing the water that that forest, that used to be forest and now it's housing, uh, it's taking. So that someone has to pay for that uh, externality or that damage. And it's not internalizing the cost of development. It's not internalizing the cost of how we run cities. So the funds then, now we're getting interesting, the funds are a step on the way towards fair pricing of water? Uh, they're a step on the way of um, creating conscious of the value of water. The next step, it's what you said, they are a step to materializing that value into the, uh, 
the mechanisms which are the types. And can people who just want to invest either for social and environmental impact of water or for a financial investment, can they invest in these funds? They can invest uh, philanthropically now, and they're doing most of, uh, in these 26 water funds, there are at least uh, 300 private partners that are investing in the funds philanthropically so far. Uh, can you invest and get your money back? I think we, uh, I, I, I w- I'm optimistic, and I think in the next five years, we will start seeing mechanisms developed in these funds so that you can invest the money and expect a return. Initially, it's going to be, of course, a high-risk investment. Uh, perhaps socially, it's going to be very beneficial, but uh, and environmentally, of course. Uh, and this, these mechanisms will be supported by tariffs or will be supported by um, other public funds. That's my view. I might be wrong, but, uh, but once the, the, the users are used to pay for the conservation of their water sources, then you're making a case for investment that may return to investors. Okay, so water is going to become an investable asset class in a way that values the essential resource that is sort of essential to life, but essential to many activities. And the water funds are one step in the way, in the, in the path of, of, of this evolution of, of I, water. I would like to think so. I, uh, I think we are seeing a deficit in investment and we are seeing such a big challenge in terms of the need for capital investment, let alone where, what kind of projects you're going to invest. It's just a big number. Um, you need to create the sources of revenue for that. And once you create the sources of revenue, or to create the sources of revenue, you need studies, you need institutions, and water funds are playing an important role there. Um, I I will be curious about the evolution of these funds, how they they bring investments, how they increase their capacity to attract uh, investment at scale. Uh, But I am optimistic for two reasons. One is because water is becoming more scarce. There's, there's no doubt about that. So um, I, there, was a, there was a very wealthy businessman in, in Mexico once, and, and he said, um, you know, many years ago, he said, um, water is becoming scarce. It's, incre- it's going to increase prices. That's a sector where I want to be. And he invested in water. Okay. It was a very simple rationale, the one you say. And second reason, second reason I'm optimistic, it's because climate change is accelerating everything. And we need to adapt. We need to live in different conditions to the ones that we lived in the past. Uh, just uh, to give you an example, out of all the countries that I know of, there are only a couple that can say that they are self-sufficient in water without having much water. Brazil is self-sufficient in water because they have lots of water. Canada has lots of water. But, but Singapore, Singapore is very, it has very limited water resources. What have they done? They've used technology. What, water management in Singapore is probably the most advanced 
water management in the world together with perhaps uh, Israel. And there's no water in either of the countries. And they decided, and particularly Singapore decided, that they used to get water from, uh, from Malaysia, or perhaps they still do, through an aqueduct. And it, was, uh, it had a term, and the Singaporean government said, when the contract expires, we are not going to get any more water from Malaysia. Uh, that means that we will find a way to reuse all the water that we have. So now they, 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 use, they have full reuse of water. So in theory, they will not need more water than the one they have now. Because all the water that goes to your toilet or that's used in washing your teeth or uh, in any industry or wherever, it's then treated, returned to nature, and then taken back. So shortage as a constraint that drives innovation. Of course. You may be the only person I've spoken to who sees water shortage, rising prices, and climate change, and feels optimistic. Well, uh, whenever prices have risen in history, of in any resource, there has been innovation. There has been investment going into the sector. We are seeing underinvestment. Why? because no one is materializing the value of water into cash or prices or anything. When we start seeing that, again, I'm an economist, I will think that resources will flow to that sector. And why not? I mean, it's, again, I may be optimistic and uh, a little bit uh, outside the, uh, thinking outside the, uh, outside the box, but Let's assume that Mexico City decides that by 2040, it will not use any more water than the one that's using today, period. Regardless if it has one million more people or two million more people, the only solution to that is to bring technology, efficiency, investment, and to use this, the water in full cycle. Okay, Hugo Contreras, uh, one of the innovators of water funds throughout Latin America. We're going to be watching closely as water becomes, as you say, ever more important, ever more scarce, maybe ever more expensive. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. And that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to Hugo, David, and our producer, Isaac Silk. Sign up for Impact Alpha Open, our free weekly newsletter, directly at impactalpha.com or become a subscriber to get full access to our award-winning daily coverage in impact investing and sustainable finance. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. We're off next week, but we'll be back the second week of August. So until next time, take care.